your show host, Dr. Alan Chong, a.k.a. The Spine Doctor himself, is a practicing chiropractor for over 33 years, business practice coach and owner of three clinics in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. His weekly guest experts will share with you the very best secrets to their own success. Their inspiring stories will be sure to show and teach you to see and achieve more in your own personal life and professional practice. Dr. Chong's dynamic and entertaining interview style allows you to just sit back and enjoy every moment as you discover the gems found in each and every podcast. We realize that you're on a journey to your own success and mastery. This podcast will allow you to learn from some of the masters in chiropractic practice, marketing, and business. Allow easy inspirations and new ideas to nudge you on a path to your future practice success and practice mastery. Stay tuned now for another exciting episode of Practice Mastery, your call to greatness. Now here's your host, Dr. Alan Chong. Welcome to today's show uh, with Carmen Dunn. Carmen Dunn is a nutrition and lifestyle coach, speaker, and educator. As a certified nutrition practitioner, her nutrition practice supports success-driven women dealing with stress, sleep, and weight issues that are often related to anxiety and depression. With over 10 years experience, Carmen helps her clients wake up refreshed, eat food without discomfort, release midsection weight, and feel more calm. Welcome to Practice Mastery Podcast, Carmen Dunn. So Carmen, today I want you to share, uh, among other things, your valuable insights into how to address today's huge nutrition and stress challenges that clients are suffering with today. So um, welcome to the show. Uh, So my first question for you is, what trends uh, do you see in your practice today that maybe have shifted in the last five, certainly 10 years? I'd say there's been a big shift in terms of um, what diet or diets are the best. We're seeing a kind of a return to meat, if you will. Um, I feel like return 10 years to meat. Yeah, return to meat. I feel like, you know, a good five, 10 years ago, everyone was kind of moving plant-based and vegetarianism and feeling like that was the best. And now we're seeing that a lot of people are having to return to, to meat to get that nutrient density. And um, so there's been an explosion in like the paleo movements. Now you're seeing the carnivore movements come up, which is kind of the other extreme from veganism. So it's been interesting because um, there's an extremism. You've got veganism on one side, carnivore diets on the other, but um, there's definitely been a return to meat, if that makes sense. Yes. Now, now, would you share your own story? Because I was I follow your Instagram, of course. And, and that is that your personal experience was that you tried... I'm not sure if just vegetarianism or veganism for quite a long time, hoping that you were going to get all these benefits. And then you tested, you said, would you share that with your audience, our audience that of, of, again, this is your personal experience, which doesn't necessarily reflect everybody, but it is, it was very insightful for me thinking that, you know, you're doing a great thing for your body and then you were drained. You were all these things. Yeah, it was a bit of a rude awakening, but um, I was on a vegetarian diet for about 17 years. So almost two decades, which is a long time. Okay. Yeah. It's quite significant. Um, You know, I think I 
converted, if you will, when I was like 19 or so. And, you know, my reasoning for doing it at the time was definitely animal rights. I had read that famous book, Diet for a New America by Dr. Neil Barnard. And um, it made sense to me at the time. And I think I, I did bouts of veganism maybe when I was 20, 21. But, you know, I, I was a business student at the time. I didn't really know much about nutrition or health. Um, so I did that for a good 17 years. Um, when I decided to go to change my career and go to nutrition school, I was very of the mindset that plant-based was, you know, the optimal diet. I was going to outlive everyone. I wasn't going to get cancer. And I remember being very, uh, not competitive, but, uh, I, hmm. you had your views. I had my views with my teachers, you know, and it was interesting because all, all of the teachers there, you know, some were very pro veganism, some were paleo and every, and I think it was important to be exposed to all of that. But anyways, what happened was, um, I had been teaching or, uh, practicing nutrition once I'd graduated for a good five years. And it was funny because intuitively I preferred having clients that ate meat over vegetarians, even though I was vegetarian, because I got better results with those that ate meat. Hmm, very so when a veg- like- someone on a vegetarian or vegan diet would come to me like inside, I'd be like, oh, it's going to be tougher. I can't get all the results they wanted. But what happened to me personally is I went and furthered my education in functional nutrition down in California. And um, in doing that, uh, program, I had to run a whole bunch of different functional labs on me. Now, up until this point, I thought I was in optimal health. And um, <laughs> I, I definitely wasn't compared to all the labs that came back. So the first thing that um, uh, I did was a food sensitivity test. So we tested over 200 foods that had been in my diet over the past three months. And it was a bit of a rude awakening because I reacted to pretty much um, all the legumes. So beans and legumes. Yeah. I reacted to dairy, which I wasn't surprised about. Um, Grains. I reacted to grains, even the non-glutinous ones. So buckwheat, wheat. um, Yeah, that's kind of taking away your your, uh, vegetarian diet there. Yeah, because if you can't combine grains with legumes like beans and lentils, you can't get a complete protein. So that was a bit of a oh, crap, now what am I going to do? Um, then I did some intestinal tests and it showed that I had, you know, leaky gut and stuff. Um, my hormone tests showed my cortisol was so low that I think I was just like a nano, just a little bit away from actually having to go to a doctor to get tested for Addison's disease because it was that low. Mm. So which explained why I was really feeling exhausted throughout the day and I was constantly sleeping all the time. And, um, my sex hormones were not optimal. They, the ratio was good, but the quantity wasn't that great. Um, so I mean, without going into too much detail, but my estrogen and my progesterone could have been higher. My testosterone wasn't high enough. Um, so it was all of this information coming together, like, Ooh, maybe this isn't the optimal diet. Right. For me. So, so fast forward for, for, you know, um, you chose to change your eating and, and lifestyle in it in a bunch of different ways, but how is listeners, you know, I mean, I think listeners should, I'm really intrigued about the fact that you think you're healthy, you're, you're eating so-called what you, you optimally are are thinking, well, this is an amazing diet according to this, this, and this, but you're not feeling really good. Was that kind of the 
the the the aha moment when you got test when you did all the testing and said this is why I don't feel great. Yeah, it was. I I remember my body kind of split into three. You know, my my heart was sad because like I really believed that killing animals was wrong, but you know, my mind was like, you know, the scientist in me was like, Ooh, what would it be like if I did change my diet? What would I notice differently? So I remember my body was split between all the different emotions I was feeling. Um, but the mentor that I was working with was a tough woman, um, in Texas and she was really (laughs) pushing on me. She's like, Carmen, how do we build our steroid hormones? We need B vitamins. We need saturated fat. We need, you know, all of these components that you're not getting enough of. And I was doing all of the healthy fats, the coconut oil, the avocados, the nuts and seeds, but it wasn't enough to be making, you know, not maybe not nutrient dense enough. So you'd have to be eating all the time. And, and, you know, that's a problem too, right? Yeah. And that's the other thing is when I look back on it, it was like, I was constantly hungry. Like I'd make a huge bowl of lentil stew full of, you know, vegetables and stuff. 30 minutes later, I'd be back in the cupboards looking for something to eat again. I was never, I could not fast at that time because I was constantly hungry. So yeah, curious. So, so what, what's, what do you have for our audience for sort of to sounds like keep an open mind as to, and get, and get nutritional testing, functional nutritional testing as well, if you're really not sure. And that's uh, for practitioners. I mean, that is a common, you think it's stress or, you know, just wanting to sleep all the time. And then of course the the word depression starts coming up and then, you know, blood sugars all over the place, creates anxiety, the whole bit, right? Yeah. So my question is, is (laughs) what insights would you share with, with our practitioners listening uh, specifically about, you know, maybe being more open-minded with who we're working with as to, you know, uh, what they need? Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is we got to make sure that whatever our beliefs are, that we're, it's not just dogma. We do need the science and the evidence to back up. So I thought I was healthy, but when I actually tested myself and looked at my ferritin and hemoglobin and, and looked at all those other things, it wasn't. Um, and it was because I was so focused on the dogma that this was the perfect diet. So we kind of have to be mindful of, um, you know, your beliefs versus the actual evidence, you know, so I do believe that testing is really important. Um, And because now when I look back on myself, when I look at the, you know, the areas that, you know, you want for optimal health, I didn't have them, but I was kind of um, naive is the word. Right. So I would say for the practitioners, um, definitely, you know, lend yourself to the tests that are out there to actually see if those results, because if the results came back that I was great on a vegetarian diet, then no problem, continue. Yeah, for sure. But if, if you're not in optimal health and the tests are saying so, you got to question yourself what's more important. So what, what uh, if you'd share, uh, what, what changes did you actually make? And, and I presume that you're, you're feeling uh, far better now. And what kind of key changes did you make? Uh, obviously, you, you know, you included uh, some, some meat or animal protein, if you will, including seafood and such. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it was a slow, slow introduction into meat. I had to go really slow because the smell of beef smelled like wet dog to me. So I remember talking with a farmer at the farmer's market. And he's like, okay, when you reintroduce yourself to chicken, go with the white meat versus the dark meat because right. the dark right. meat's going to have a, a stronger smell that's off-putting. So it was really a slow introduction from like cutting one little piece of you know, steak, and I would cut it into 10 little micro bits, like there was a psychological process. Um, but you go slow. And, um, you know, I really could only reintroduce chicken and beef. Just mm-hmm. I even today, I, I still can't eat the baby animals, the lambs. Yeah, no, 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 we're not, yeah. we're not talking about, you know, we're talking about for your health, what did you what did you do? And what did you discover? Right? Because uh, you're not alone out there. Yeah. Um, What did I discover? So definitely the one word that pops out is vitality. I feel more strong. I feel more grounded. Stress does not affect me like it used to. So, you know, if a stressor is thrown at me, it just slides off like Teflon. I'm like, okay, this happened. Here's how I'm going to deal with it. So I feel more grounded in my body. Um, my ability to make muscle has massively gone up. So mm. when I was training pre-pregnancies, like I was able to get, I was a, well, not a six pack, but I was pretty impressed with my abs there at the time. And I'm getting back into it now, now that I'm done with the babies. Um, you know, I never had issues with sleep, but I've definitely got more energy. I'm not hungry all the time. I'm able to fast in between meals. And when I do eat, I can eat a smaller meal, but it'll last me a good five hours before I require the next meal. Um, I can't say there were stark black and white differences because I was at the end of my vegetarian career, if you will, I was still eating salmon and eggs and the odd bit of cheese. So I wasn't the worst that I could have been. Um, but definitely the vitality came back more energy, um, better muscle composition. Oh, I would say, um, mental cognition is better. I can't get and stay depressed anymore. Whereas my twenties and half of my thirties, I was depressed. So definitely there's been an improvement there. Hmm. And, and these changes you just made in the last little while, or was this a couple of years ago? I would say in the last five years. Right. Yeah. yeah. And your testing, you've done some testing since then. So this is real stuff, yeah. not, not just theory about, oh, I feel this way. I have done some tests. I don't have ferritin from before to confirm it to, but my, my sex hormones and my stress hormones, they all improved. Oh, those are um, Yeah, <laughs> massively. <laughs> um, the last time I ran the test though was postpartum. So I, I think that's off anyways. Um, but yeah, those have definitely gone up. I, I wish I had a baseline for ferritin hemoglobin from before, but I didn't have a doctor. Right. And we could presume that is certainly eating red meat and flesh meats, um, and, and it would, would improve those factors for sure. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, what people should do more or less of in general from like we're in a highly worldwide virtually in a highly stressed society now what do you think from a nutritional standpoint nutritional uh you know and lifestyle coach what do you think we should do more of definitely is you want to find your ideal diet be and this is something that people don't understand well how can changing my diet 
help me be more stress resilient. But the thing is, if you're eating foods of which you're sensitive to, it's going to cause elevations in cortisol. Then what happens? You feel more stressed and irritated and you're quick to anger. So when you pull those foods out, there's a balancing that happens in the hormones. So it's similar to when someone has, um, uh, you know, their blood sugars are off, they're up and down, up and down. You experience a lot more anxiety. When you learn how to eat to balance the blood sugar, you feel more calm. So it's very similar with regards to the stress hormones. So when you pull those foods out and you start eating the foods that your body thrives on, you feel great. You have energy after your meal. You you don't get that post-meal fatigue. Um, Your energy is like your mental clarity is it's clear. You're focused. Your stomach is silent like a Toyota hybrid. It's not like a Harley (laughs) Davidson making noise. Um, You're just more calm. Right. Um, And I, and it's one of those things you really have to try it to believe it because it just seems too good to be true, but it's really true. You know, food has an impact on your hormonal health. So that would be the first thing is start eating the right foods for your body, because what you're going to thrive on, Alan, is different than me, right? So that's why I love testing. Um, One of the first labs that I run on everyone is the the food sensitivity test. Right. And we pull out the foods they react to. We concentrate on the foods they don't. And it's like night and day. Mm -hmm. Like within two days, I can get the person's energy back up. Right. Well, intuitively, though, I, I know for me, I do better on certain foods and certain other foods. Like I can eat a certain amount of raw food, but I can't eat a lot of raw food at this point in time in my life. I don't feel yeah. good. Yeah. Whereas um, I, I call myself an omnivore. However, I do um, feel better when I eat a certain amount of meat. Doesn't Well, usually every day. And I stay with high quality meats whenever possible, of course. And I'm a pretty good cook. So I I enjoy (laughs) that as well. So, and that's not for everybody. That's just for me. So partly I know that I grew up um, eating meat and feeling good with that just so happens. But as I I, uh, am older now and more intuitive, I actually know why I feel better with that. And that's just me. Not, I'm not, I'm not advocating everybody's switch and eat meat, but I'm saying, you know, intuitively uh, you can listen to your body and go, I don't feel great when I eat tomatoes, for example. Some people tell me that some of my patients, what about you? What are some of the other really common kind of alert signs? Well, a lot of people that come to me, they know intuitively they're reacting to dairy. That mm-hmm. is like number one. And right. some people know wheat as well, because you get more of the immediate reaction with regards to bloating, um, discomfort, pain, gas, or, you know, yeah, just don't feel good. Through. Right. Yeah. But another food that people don't recognize is eggs. Right. So eggs is one of the highest food sensitivities I'm seeing, but it's one that people don't realize. And I think it's because eggs have a bit more of a delayed reaction. Because hmm. remember, what, typically, food- what, 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 what would they feel? They don't, they don't feel it. I remember one client specifically when we, we did the, um, she removed it for three months and then we added it back in to see how she reacted and it was heartburn came back for her. It was reflux mm. and it was immediate. So she's like, yeah, no. Um, another client added it back in and I think it was like immediate uh, gut pain or something. So people will react differently, but food sensitivities take anywhere from one to three days to produce a reaction. That's why we call them delayed compared Mm -hmm. to allergies, which are immediate. 
So that is one that intuitively people aren't aware of. Don't miss another secret to your practice success. Subscribe to Practice Mastery today at highprofitspractice.com forward slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, what, what, what should we be doing less of then? Obviously, less of eating problem foods. But I mean, we're in a fast food world as well. Um, I'm not very tempted by fast food at all. Uh, because I love to cook and I know what goes into my food. So I like to eat my food and people's food that I trust. But yeah. a lot of people aren't like that. They either they don't feel they're very good cooks or the convenience factor. So what should we do less of? Uh, what should we do less of? I mean, it, it's so easy to say everybody give up sugar and wheat and alcohol, but that's not a reality for everyone. And you also don't need to be 100% perfect in order to have good results, right? So like two days ago, because of a situation with their family, we had to go to A&W and I'm like, okay, if this is a situation, what do you do? I get a lettuce bun. And then you turn it into something that's not that bad. Mm. So there are little ways, like if you're going through Starbucks, um, if you don't react to eggs, you know, I think their egg bites are fine. But it's when you start getting into all of the, the muffins and the pastries and stuff, that is not only going to make you immediately feel not great in the tummy, but it's going to contribute to fatigue. So um, <laughs> Anything straight carbs is a problem. Yeah. In terms of what should we do less of, you know, I think what we should do more of is really plan our weeks out. Right. I mean, every, it, it always comes back to the same thing you need discipline, you need consistency. So for me right now, I buy when I do my groceries, I buy five packs of chicken thighs. Mm -hmm. So one for each day of the week, I take them out the night before and that's my meal one. So right. if I know I've got that, and I'm eating that for meal one, from Monday to Friday, I'm going to hit all of my goals, my protein macro goals and all that. So you do need a little bit of planning. And, it, you know, I'm not doing anything complicated. So I think, it's more like, what do we need to do more of in terms of organization? Right. And, and I think you, you brought up a great point. I mean, you're, you're not only uh, probably some shared cooking, but you have a family of two, two young kids and, and a husband, right? So there's the yeah. four of you and your preferences may be different and you're trying to meet everybody's needs, right? Yeah. I'm a bit of a tough mom. <laughs> I did <laughs> okay. not. I, as you know, my partner's French and I, I've studied a lot. I like to read about how they parent differently in France. And one thing they don't do is they don't serve shittier food for the kids at a restaurant like we do here. And I absolutely mm. did not want to raise my children on, you know, chicken nuggets and hamburgers and hot dogs. So I'm like, my kids are going to eat the same food as us. I'm going to order a bit more, yeah, cut it up great. in smaller pieces. For and sure. I mean, I'm not, it's not perfect. It's not doesn't always go that way, but you know, well, from the always, beginning, I want them to think that this is normal. You it, know, it's always baffled me that yeah. um, children's menus at many restaurants, if you're going to eat out, of course, are starkly different from real food. I mean, exactly. Seriously, we're training their taste buds is from the moment they start to eat to, to process, enjoy to salt foods. and fried food. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, and um, French fries. For some reason, kids love French fries. French fries. Well, you know, a fry or two once in a while with the right stuff I like too, but I like the fried and duck fat. So <laughs> yeah. double fried and duck fat, the French way. Yeah. So it, it is a matter of choices is what we're, we're saying, obviously. 
So, yeah. um, Carmen, you know, you know, the, one of the last, well, not last things, but your, uh, I think one of your posts in Instagram uh, talked about 15 ways to increase your energy. Can you give us kind of the top three or four that you really uh, love and, and apply to, to your, uh, for you and your clients? Increasing yeah, so your energy. Let's keep it really, really simple. So the first one that I would say, and this is one where within one to two days, women notice a difference is to increase your protein. I cannot tell you, but the majority of women that come to me are severely under consuming protein mm. for their needs. And why so is that? They don't know. They're eating you know, salads, maybe. Well, people don't know you need to put protein in each meal, but they start off, they're in a rush in the morning. So they're eating more carby foods, right? The cereals or toast or muffins, and then take a coffee and run to work. So if you don't start your morning off with significant amount of protein, you're going to be playing catch up the rest of the day. And it's going to cause you to consume, you're going to crave more sugar and refined carbs in the end of the of right. the day. Just to kind so, of keep your, your blood, get your blood get sugar your up. Blood right? sugar. It also reinforces our circadian rhythm. So the, the macros we need to fuel with change throughout the day. So for breakfast or meal one, you want to concentrate more on protein and fat, mm -hmm. right? Satiating Whereas in the things, right? Satiate yeah. macros. Stabilize that blood sugar, give you that sustainable energy, the great mental energy and focus and clarity. You know, in the evening, you want to focus more on that's when you add in your complex carbs because that helps stabilize your blood sugar during the night. So you stay asleep and aren't waking up at 3 a.m. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, 100% women, men need to get more protein into their diet. Um, that is significantly going to help with their. Um, their energy levels. Another thing that's really easy to do. That's also free is more light. More we light. Have more light. We have light deficiencies and we don't think about this. So what I tell my clients is, um, as soon as you wake up, if you've got a dog or whatever, get outside and get under the sun. So natural light, the natural sunlight, because that raises orexin, which is a neurotransmitter, which is responsible for wakefulness and giving mm. us energy. It also helps boost your serotonin, which makes you feel good. Great. So if, you, if you've got a dog, you're already golden. Get on your house coat, your slippers, get out there, walk the dog. And everybody knows when you're outside in front of the sun, you feel better and it wakes right. you up. And the problem is that most of us are working from home or in offices. So we're not getting exposed to the natural light. We're under the blue light, the artificial lights. And it doesn't give us anywhere near the amount of light that we need. Right. So even if you're like me in Vancouver, you know, gray overcast, um, <laughs> you will still get significantly more uh, light outside than you will inside in the office. And that, that wakes you up. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And your third sort of big tip, increasing energy. What's your favorite <sighs> other favorite? Let me just, uh, I've, I've got so many here. Um, because I could go into mitochondria, let's say, okay, the next thing that would be really easy, I would say is to remove food sensitivities, right? Because they contribute to fatigue. So when you eat cleaner, you've got more sustainable energy. Um, eating foods that balance your blood sugar are going to give you sustainable energy. So making sure you're removing those processed carbs, um, the refined carbs, the sugar, because all of those things cause a blood sugar crash. And then you're tired. And then what do you reach for sugar and coffee? So Great. 
balancing well, some other sugar. stimulant or whatever, right? I won't judge, but yeah. yeah. So, I mean, those are just the simple ones. Afterwards, we could go more into like cellular health. Like what can we do to regenerate mitochondria? Um, you know, what can we do to improve your sleep? So you're waking up rested, but you know, just starting with those simple basics is already enough to see a big difference. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, kind of as we wrap this show, uh, you've given some tremendous insights into, you know, the common issues that people are experiencing, your clients are experiencing, but you know, there's lots of us practitioners that do some uh, nutritional work. What are, what, what would you say are to summarize would, would be your best advice in the practice of nutrition? Like how, where is it going? Where, where should we be looking at certainly testing because it's available now, certainly you know, listening to the patient, having the patient become more intuitive, teaching some basics, like you said, the top three energy boosters, those are going to help our, our patients, clients right away, right? If, well, if they follow that advice. This is your host, Dr. Alan Chong. I hope you're finding unique value in this podcast. If so, my ask of you is to subscribe and share it. Yes, please share this podcast with one friend and colleague. That's how you can help grow this as a movement. Mission is to share legacy content with listeners like you. Now back to the show. But what would would you say to practitioners now where they need to kind of look into? Um, That may be a tough question, but you know... You know, it, it kind of relates to where you've been going with your nutritional practice, which is different. Most of it's online, correct? Most of it's, especially yeah. with COVID, most most of it's um, uh, Zoom calls and things. But advice for practitioners, kind of dabbling in nutrition. You kind of have to get serious with with certain things as opposed to just just not. Are there some resources and and um, where they can go, where they what they should do? So for non-nutritional practitioners, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Both. I mean, you know, some are just maybe stuck in a certain practice, but particularly, yeah, most of our listeners are going to be non-nutritional. Non-nutritional. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some quick pieces of advice that they can give their clients or patients? Yeah. Um, you know, I, making sure that they understand that, you know, if you eat stereotypically three meals a day, you want to make sure that you're getting all three of your macros. So making sure they're getting protein they're getting a healthy fat and they're getting um, a complex carb of some sort, you know, fruit, vegetable. Um, uh, We we need to start thinking in terms of what we're composing our meals of to help with blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of resources, I mean, I try to put out tons of free content on my Instagram. Yours yours is a great resource. uh, And that's Carmen Dunn Nutrition, right? Mm -hmm. That's your handle? (laughs) Yeah. So look it, up, uh, look it up, folks, listeners. Um, other resources. I mean, I, I could recommend other. Well, you're a great resource industry. right there. Oh, so, well, thank you. <laughs> that was a That was a tough question. So, I, I, I mean, the insights uh, I'll share that I got from today's today's show, today's talk with you, Carmen, is that we need to to uh, have our patients think about more of what they're doing on a consistent basis. What do they perhaps overeat on, uh, whether it's the carbs, and and to eat more protein, 
uh, and to watch the food sensitivities, which do show up, but may need, um, I mean, ideally needs testing to, to identify the full gamut of food sensitivities. And that would um, likely need a referral or, or, or to engage someone like you, Carmen, uh, into the management of that of that um, client patient, and then uh, what I got is that on a day to day basis, we need to lower and control our uh, um, cortisol, right? And so, in other words, the stress when we're in cortisol, cortisol, because of course, cortisol. Uh, leads to weight gain that doesn't come off. Um, and, and it's this vicious cycle that is often fed by the, the foods uh, too much or too little of. That's what I got out of, out of what you've told us today. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, from what I see after 10 years of practicing and testing people, most people that I'm seeing are coming to me in stage two or three of adrenal dysfunction, which means low cortisol. Right. So, um, and that's going to affect everything Um, yeah. So, I mean, testing is valid. The other thing I would say, um, Alan, because definitely, you know, when you come to work with, you know, practitioners like ourselves, there is a cost, you know, supplements cost money, tests cost money, but I want to specify before I leave that 60% of what contributes to optimal health is free. And we always tend to forget the basics of health. We focus on, oh, well, all these supplements cost money or the test costs money. 60% of what we need is free. Movement represents mm. 20% of optimal health. We all can get out of our house or home and walk 20 minutes a day in the sun. That's going to help improve you. Um, sleep. We would all benefit from, you know, watching one last episode on Netflix and going to bed at 10 p.m., which helps strengthen our circadian rhythm, you know, our sleep-wake cycle. That, I mean, I always say that sleep is your number one fat loss tool Mm. and stress resiliency is free. So, you know, going for a walk in nature, turning off the news, going to sleep earlier, using an app on your phone, you know, start with a free app. Um, you know, meditation, breathing, all of these things, those contribute to 60% of what contributes to good health. So don't forget the basics that we all have within our own reach. Right. Well, on that note, that's great and sage advice. Carmen Dunn, um, nutritional and lifestyle coach. Thank you very much for being on today's episode of Practice Mastery. You left us with some great, not only insights, but some advice for for, uh, general nutrition and how we can live with less stress, sleep better, have higher energy. Who wouldn't want that? So as listeners, um, thanks for listening. And I hope this episode has brought you one step closer to Practice Mastery. Until next time, we'll see you then. Well, that wraps up another episode of Practice Mastery, your call to greatness. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. For show notes, to listen more, and to subscribe, go to highprofitspractice.com forward slash podcast. We'd love to hear from you. So remember to rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, wishing you one step closer to Practice Mastery, your call to greatness. All content for Practice Mastery podcasts and all related media of Practice Mastery, 
your call to greatness are claimed and protected by copyright. All rights reserved by Dr. Alan Chong.